And we're back with another episode of the Anarchist Experience, episode 276, aka Year 6, Week 26. Coming at you this week, as always, I am your host, Mr. Rich E. Rich, along with MC and KS. And since this is your regular call-in show, uh, those numbers for you to dial are 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. That's 303-335-9527 or 303-835-1301. And I kind of know the answer, but I'm going to do it anyway. What is going on with you guys this week? Nothing. God damn it. I knew it. Yeah, it's been it's been relatively slow. Um, you know, the 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 pre-show discussion, the only thing I guess to touch on is uh COVID is still a thing and no. getting worse or better depending on how you read statistics. It can only get better in my my opinion. Well, and every was... with every new case, you have one less person that's going to catch it in the future. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's what the whole what was the argument of uh, flatten the curve? Flatten the curve, yeah. Well, okay, so it it you can't uh, have a, a a curve if there are no cases, and that would be a flattened curve. That's you flat. can't you can't get to a point where we have no cases until uh, the thing has you know COVID has run its course until everybody gets it and the so, strong survive. And so, accidentally, I think New York City uh, is probably pretty close to herd immunity um, because I'm not saying their lockdown helped at all. I think the lockdown happened too late, and most people were exposed to it. And you know, they got it through their air conditioning systems, and you know, they spent a lot of time, more time indoors, and uh, and they they have their subway system that wasn't shut down. So I think uh, COVID spread through New York. Uh, quicker than uh, the lockdowns had any hope of uh you know changing anything so um so yeah i think other places that have locked down and uh isolated people isolated themselves uh you know when winter rolls around we're gonna see i think we're gonna see more deaths in in the coming winter uh than we've had so far in and maybe not in places like new york city because they're uh, it uh, it already spread through there pretty quick. Um, so one of the interesting statistics that I was reading, which which why we talked about it before the show, uh, excuse me, is I, a headline popped up on social media that I found a little strange. Like if I was reading the if I was trying to read the headline objectively, I would have went they're fudging something. So then I tried to pull up the you know the the article with more of the information on there. And the headline was basically, um, there's only two states uh, with a, a, a decreasing seven-day rolling average for COVID. And one of those was New Hampshire, and the other one was Maine. So, like, all the way up here in the Northeast. Yeah. Uh, Some of those stats are, are not that interesting because, like, Hawaii, for example, has so few cases that if it, if it gets one case then well it's not a decreasing average anymore it's it's increasing you know? <laughs> right which is which is why i was a little skeptical of right. how the headline was worded yeah. um but then i pulled up you know the the new york times article and because hawaii and new hampshire are of the most interest to me uh, having lived in hawaii and now living in new hampshire um and what seems to be diametrically opposed uh solutions for this problem 
um, with New Hampshire locking down on paper, I guess. Like, I don't really feel that the, you know, like Hawaii with the quarantine thing, right? You show up, they, 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 they basically screen you, get all this information from you and you're screwed, right? Like you stay in your hotel room, you're not allowed out for 14 days and we have armed guards at the door. Uh, and New Hampshire, you can cross the border freely, right? There's no, there's no checkpoints. There's no border guards. You just, you come from wherever you be here and whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so the actual number for the past seven days was like New Hampshire, 174 new cases and Hawaii, 173. And so what was intriguing to me about that hard number, right? Like just the facts number, um, like where the hell did 173 cases in Hawaii come from? Uh, if everything was supposed to be locked down and, you know, all the smack talking about how safe it was and, uh, no one's allowed there and we're locking down for the sake of everybody. And, uh, how, how did it go up? I guess is my question, um, to hit that number with all the lockdown procedures, um, that Hawaii had in place. And I don't know, I don't know if you know specifically, but if you want to throw out a theory or comment on that, I'd love to hear an opinion. Do you know the number of deaths involved? I'm curious in the uh, contrast, I, not not just cases, but deaths. Uh, the article did not, ha- I didn't see the death numbers, just the new cases. So I'm trying to, I'm firing up the article we've, right we've now. We've only got, we've only got three as of today or yesterday, 317 active cases in the whole state. So I don't know where your 173 new came from. Yeah, that's surprising. And there's only New York only Times, 20, 24 yeah, deaths. Wrong total uh, in for five months here the the new york times they had this is an article published today on the 18th and in you know in the in the cases and deaths um section for all the states i guess i I can click on a button it's going to take me a minute to pull it up um the the head the they've got all the states listed the head the header for the statistic is cases in the last seven days and i scroll down till i find hawaii uh, and it says 173. So 174 for New Hampshire, 173 for Hawaii. Uh, where they got that number, okay. I don't know. I'm yeah, just yeah. I'm sourcing it as New York Times. I'm going to click on the thing that says deaths. Uh, let's see. Should yeah, be, it, it, that, it might be accurate. I'm not really sure. You said okay. So in the last seven days, so to, so it says okay. Yesterday it said today there were a total of 23 new cases. Um, so yeah, 23 times. Seven. seven. Yeah, yeah I guess right. so. Yeah. Uh, so deaths new in the last seven days only, uh, five, and Hawaii three. Yeah. So we've had twenty three de- total deaths on Oahu. Okay. Um, and I don't know, but that's see, even higher. The total deaths for Hawaii says twenty two, uh, according to the the New York Times. So yeah, pretty so damn close. Yeah, pretty close. Um, but I don't think anything is really surprising because uh, whether it's uh, a couple hundred new cases or uh, just a few new cases, it, it doesn't really matter because this is a virus that spreads very easily. And so some days might be more, some days might be less. It, and the, really, I think the, the stats that will matter are going to be ones that we look back on two or three years from now when we have all the data. Okay. Um, and, you know, tracking a week here and a week there oh something must have happened well i'll tell you what happened the virus spread <laughs> you know it's well like... right and I, <laughs> I i get that part but my 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 question is with everything locked down as tightly as it was in hawaii well, every, 
everything's not really locked down though. I mean, okay. people still go out, people still hang out with their friends, people still go to their friend's house. It's it's not like everybody is total fear panic mode as they were in the first two weeks that was supposed to flatten the curve, which maybe it did. Yeah. But then then they decided, well, we flattened the curve. Now what do we do? We'll just keep doing it forever. Four months into a two week shutdown to flatten the curve. Here's here's where we stand. Right. Okay. I mean that's fair. Like I said, I was just and curious because it so seemed high. I so I think what's important to uh, understand is, you know, if 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 you're looking at this thing, uh, if you're looking at lockdowns as as a solution, like what is what do you expect to happen? And uh, you know, uh, whatever it is, uh, 23 new cases in a day. It's like so what? And like all of them will probably survive. <laughs> Well, and, and I'm kind of with you, and that's why, the, again, that's what sparked my curiosity was, you know, I, I attribute it, I attribute the success uh, of Hawaii's, you know, l- lack of deaths and lack of new cases to the lockdown, right? That's that's when I think about it, I go like, well, they locked down more heavily than most places, and, well, and based on and the numbers, so seem to we'll be wait, successful. We'll wait for two years from now when Hawaii is still dealing with new cases all the time because we flatten the curve so much that it just won't go away, you know, for three years. And 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 so basically what I'm saying is is kind of what the, the scientists said at the beginning was flatten the curve. So what that means is everybody's gonna get it eventually or be exposed to it until we get herd immunity and uh hopefully the hospitals won't be overrun. And and so what? You know, <laughs> which was the only thing in the beginning, right? right. This right. this is the progression. Like when 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 the freedom minded and the liberty minded individuals uh, complain about like mission creep, right? And why you had to fight so hard in the beginning to not let this escalate, right? right. It went from a two week lockdown to uh, it, you're now getting arrested for not wearing a mask. So like the, that's the, the progression in four months. The the governor in in Georgia. Uh, has the kind of the correct response. He said, you know, we, we, he's, he, he actually created a law that says the local governments cannot have uh, forced uh, ma- mask rules or you cannot, uh, the police cannot enforce the masks on people. Um, now he still advises and he wears a mask himself, but he's saying that the government shouldn't force people to wear masks. Now, maybe a, a private business can. That's a different story. Right. Uh, on their property. Um, and, of course, if the person isn't behaving correctly on the private property, they can call the cops and charge them for trespassing and get them kicked off. But um, I think that's important uh, to, to, to say, you know, just kind of like Sweden. Like, you know, you know, close down if you want. Close down your bar if you're afraid of people getting infected, but, uh, you know, take personal responsibility. And uh, I think that's much more appropriate uh, action to take. Um, I'm going to say something a little bit controversial, maybe. Um, and I might lose a little bit of my, you know, my ANCAP cred, my libertarian cred. Uh, because when I, whereas I agree that private businesses, uh, should have the ability to set their rules and require masks upon entering. Uh, those businesses that do require masks upon entering, I lose a lot of sympathy for 
when shit goes wrong, right? Sure. Like, uh, okay, you know, you're you you you're allowed to require masks upon entering, um, but if if your building gets like you know blown up in the riots, like I don't feel so bad for you anymore, right? Like, yeah, that's 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 an indirect uh, karmic response uh, <laughs> for from the way I look at it. Um, and I'm not surprised when I see all these other, you know, uh, articles and videos about, um, you know, customers being mean to employees at those places for requiring the mask. I go, well, who else you can take it out on? Right. They're, they're either, they're either doing it at the behest of the state, right. In which case you can't really take it out on the state. And if you don't want your, you know, if you don't want your employees harassed, uh, stop being, you know, stop being the the enforcer of the state for this nonsense. Um, and if you're, you know, if you're if you're not doing it on behest at behest of the state, and you're doing it for customers, why are you treating your customers like that? You know, so I don't I I don't feel bad for any bad things that happen to to uh, to companies that do that, right? And the the argument that gets brought up is like uh, the no shirt, no shoes, no service, same thing, bruh. Uh, like, well, I've also like, I worked in Hawaii and I worked at a gas station and people came in from the beach with no shirt and no shoes on. And I didn't give a fuck. I sold them a Slurpee because <laughs> they had money to pay, man, you know? So I just, you know, uh, I got in trouble a couple of times uh, at that gas station for like not kip- kicking out the homeless guy, you know, cause he came in with his, you know, few bucks that he had and he would browse and I would let him shop and the owner would come by and like, you know, scoot him out cause it's his business and he can do what he wants. He's like, why don't you kick him out? Because uh, he had money to pay. <laughs> why? Why would I turn down a sale? Uh, he's scaring off all the other customers. Like, no, he's not. They just avoid him and they get their stuff and they walk around him. You know. <laughs> so, I'm I'm as you know I from the beginning even at my job I've been as as accommodating as I can be uh, towards customers. If you want to wear a mask, wear a mask. If you want to wipe down your hands, you know, here's some racks. Right. If you don't, then we can have a conversation and we're all good, man. So, cust- customer first customer centric in my opinion um and and those organizations that choose to alienate uh certain customers because they may disagree with the the safety recommendations um i don't really care like you know burn it down for all i care if if a customer comes in and he starts like intentionally coughing on other customers at that point you might be like hey man quit being an asshole get out of here right (laughs) right I might do that, but fortunately for me, I don't have a lot of customers in, in my, in my shop at the same time. Um, and I don't, and because I'm accommodating I'm saying, to everyone. Oh, you're talking about that, in general? The gas, yeah. Yeah. In the gas station that you used to work at. If somebody yeah. was to, you know. <laughs> yeah. Like, dude, just come on, get out of here. Don't make, well, don't make when, me when call you, security. Go ahead, Ken. Okay. When Ken. you say the gas station, what was the circumstance? I mean, it was like a convenience store. You still walked inside to. Yeah. So at, at a gas station, it's typical to see a sign that says uh, you must have a shirt and shoes on to to be a customer here. Right, and that, that's 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 a typical that's a stereotypical sign that a lot of places would hang. Right. I don't remember if our gas station specifically had that you know put up because we're in Hawaii, close to the beach. But my point was, I didn't care how people were dressed uh, when they came in or what they were wearing or not wearing. Because if they came in with money, I would sell them product, and that's all that mattered to me. Right? Okay, you say that you're, you're, you know, the customer had money, and so therefore you're serving him. Um, the owner of the establishment 
may be thinking uh, of all of his customers, not just that customer and his employees. Now, I, as I recall, um, if an employee comes in and says that the, um, you know, the, the state is, uh, that the, the employer is not following this, this mandated guideline of this, of this, of the state that you have to wear a, a mask inside these things, that then you're putting the health of the employee at, uh, in jeopardy and therefore an unsafe uh, work environment. Um, and also, I guess the customers, the, the owner of the establishment is not just thinking of that customer, but of the other customers who may then uh, choose not to frequent his store because uh, they're perceived to be operating an unsafe uh, work environment. It would be like saying, well, um, you know, the customer is smoking and it's okay because I don't mind. He's got money to pay for the product. But the owner of the establishment is saying, well, it may deter other people from coming in because somebody's smoking and smoking is maybe irritating to them or they consider it a threat to their health. It may. And I've and had customers other... walk in with a cigarette, borrow the lighter, you know, the, 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 the for sale lighter <laughs> just to light their cigarette <laughs> and immediately bolt out the door. I'm like, yeah, have at it, dude. Cause I don't care. You know? Yeah. But I mean, I, I think that the owner of the establishment does have a right to, to enforce those mandates as he chooses to because he's got a broader view of what his customer base is and of what his um, penalties are going to be with regard to the state if he doesn't uh, abide by those stated rules. So You're I think, right. I think, and I also said that I got in trouble a number of times for not doing it because yeah. I was going to serve the customers first. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You're okay with the employer uh, abiding by those the rules that he sets for his establishment? Well, of course. <laughs> I'm okay and, with the employer and, doing it. I got and, reprimanded for breaking them, but yeah. you know that's a choice and, that I made. And if you kept doing it, you'd be okay with him saying, "Sorry, you you can't work here." Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> but I also what, what I also else? thought, yeah. But I also thought that I was valuable enough where you know he would just continually you know kick the bucket down the road and like not fire me over nonsense bullshit about not serving customers who had money to pay. Well, I I don't. See it as nonsense and bullshit. I, I, I actually, in what you said at the start with, this will get you into trouble with your libertarian friends. I don't see any anything that you've said there that's a conflict with uh, the libertarian uh, perspective. You've said that you respect the right of the employer to mandate these things. Whether or not you liked it or not, you, you still respected his right to reprimand or even dismiss you for that and to abide by this that's perfectly consistent with the libertarian view i also said i wouldn't care if his if his store got burned them. down you know because of someone because someone got disgruntled right like i i lose respect for the business in that sense where i may have where if he were if he were doing what i perceived to be the right thing i would come to his defense and say no 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 it was clearly in the wrong for that store to have been destroyed that is private property and you have no right to destroy that, that, that store. Uh, and I go like, dude was a dick store got burned down. Fuck him. Well, that's just an opinion too. And that's perfectly all right as well. Right. But whether or not you would, uh, do the burning or hand the guy the match to do the burning, uh, that would be a different issue. Fair enough. But if it burns, not putting it out, going to laugh at the dude. I mean, like serves you right. Sure, Cause sure. that's karma. Yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, I also say that 
from a libertarian perspective, he has a right to hire whomever he wants and fire whomever he wants. Uh, he may do so on his own um, racial prejudices, which I would condemn um, uh, on moral grounds. But I would, I would, I would have to uh, say that from a libertarian perspective, it's, it's his property. He has the right to choose how he man manages it, even if I might find his behavior reprehensible. And I would urge urge people to boycott it. In fact, I probably wouldn't work for him if if uh, if I found his uh, behavior um, immoral. Depends how immoral, right? Like, you know, harassing the homeless dude, you know, probably lower on the scale of I'm quitting my job over it versus kick that dude out because he's a black dude. That might that might be more cause for concern. Sure. There's all kinds of degrees of of uh, of of uh objection that you could have uh right. or, i mean of, of the kinds of behavior they exhibit i mean maybe he comes in and he's and he just uh speaks rudely to you or he doesn't speak to you i mean those are the reasons to leave a place too but you might not necessarily if you, it depends on how much you want to keep that job yeah and compared to uh, compared to what you know maybe they pay better or maybe the hours are more convenient or something like that that says that well it's worthwhile for me to tolerate and there's always going to be that, regardless of the circumstances. I like teaching, but I don't like necessarily the behavior of all my students. Uh, but I, it's a trade-off. You know, I, I the pluses outweigh the minuses. Just kick them out of class. You, out of here. F. I don't think i Imagine the power that you that. hold. No, I don't think I have that power. I'm not sure that I have the right to kick a student out. For, for any reason or for a good reason? Couldn't you just, well, I don't know. Couldn't you just you know, call it a disruption? For, for the most, I mean, I've always taught at university level, which means that everybody is there voluntarily and they're the customer. I have not been in a circumstance where I've been teaching where people are there involuntarily, which is high school and or whatever it is, you know, that the, uh, that the truancy laws mandate you have to be in school. And frankly, I would never want to teach um, in a circumstance where the customer is mandated to be there, it has to be there. Um, and therefore the behavior is entirely different. If a person is there voluntarily, well, I don't know. They may have a lot of reasons. I, there are some times when someone might want to be disruptive or rude. Hungover, uh, perhaps. Well, then they just go to sleep, you know, they put <laughs> down and they're, and they're out of the picture. But it's the, the worst kind of thing would be if they're, rude uh they, i i've had some people who want to challenge everything that i say and they just become obstruct uh, obstructive but that doesn't go on for very long maybe one class period or two class periods but uh no frankly i've had a very good experience with it nice but but you are ultimately responsible for their grade right this is this is one of those caveats that usually comes from the other direction right where conservatives are forced to temper their opinion and their viewpoint in order to get the grade from a, a liberal professor. Oh, and it, it goes both ways. I'm sure that there are conservatives who, who shape their grade, uh, but most of the, most of the teachers are liberal. Um, a very small number are conservative. Although I'd say when we say liberal and conservative, we're talking about different kinds of conservative and liberal, you know? Uh, yeah. I, but, that's the nature of the beast too. It's really hard to remove subjectivity. Um, and being very sensitive to that, I feel like 
Someone who disagrees with me, I try to give them a better grade because I don't want, I would, I would be loath to have them think that I'm only grading them on the basis of agreeing with me. They may not know that, but that's, that's um, maybe if they knew that, they might be inclined more to disagree with me. Uh, but I, you may want to put that really caveat hard. out front then, because you would be, you would, you would be a standout professor for saying that up front, because I think what the, the current, uh, you know, stereotype or the current mode of operation is, is that you temper your viewpoints to align with the professor because you want to get the good grade because that's more important to your future than, you know, having a, a, an open discussion in a college. Oh yeah. I mean, but um, no, I mean, I, I, I don't want to have it like be a dis- with agreement or disagreement. I mean, I don't want to. Right. I don't want to say, well, if you disagree with me, you get a better grade. I don't want to do that. Right. Well, um, I'm not saying that, either, but I'm saying because... like a disclaimer on you know right at the top of the syllabus that says your grade is in no way determined by whether or not we align politically with our opinions. Right. If you say something and can defend it, then you get points for that process. <clears throat> Regardless it's, of, you know, that's tough too, even because they, you know, in the whole semester of, of, uh, hours and hours and hours of, of lecture and, and stuff, oh, you know, how many different interpretations there can be for everything you say or everything they say. Yeah. So it's, it's, you know, and, and that opens up a whole box of contention that I don't necessarily want to invite. Um, I just rather have it be my practice to behave as best as I can in that manner. Um, for example, too, I, I do have a bias in front of, in favor of somebody who's, who is um, making great efforts to study and to, to learn the material, and I, I tend to grade them better at the end, uh, because they've, I, I've seen them make great great efforts. Well, that's a, a judgment, you know. Why why should somebody who makes great efforts get uh, any favoritism versus somebody who just doesn't have to study and doesn't have to work hard and still gets a C and is quite satisfied with it, you know? Um, yeah. I'm kind of on that one. Yeah, results yeah. only, man. Effort doesn't count unless it generates results. Um, well, there's a, a, a thing. Uh, I think there's factors. For example, somebody doesn't know how you grade or what you're, what you're testing for in the first grade and it gets averaged in with the last grade. If the last grade is, really strong a hundred percent score and the first grade was a was an f i consider that um uh that had they learned how i was testing or grading from the at the very beginning um i mean they they've made an enormous strides of improvement I, I, i don't think that the average of the two grades is absolute I think okay. the direction of the performance is uh, a measure of of uh, learning. I mean, so I don't want to get too, I don't want to get too much into the weeds, but you could weight the grades, right? First first grade first grade weighs less than the last one. Yeah. So anyway, if somebody did start off uh, with an F, and at the end they were scoring A's, they could still get an A and and not not be worried about being stuck with a C. Then, right? Is that what you're saying? Or maybe a B. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's still a, a factor that you, you still have. Yeah. The alternative is somebody who started off with an A and wound up uh, with the final exam uh, getting an, uh, an F. Um, I 
well, of course, there's a lot of factors in this because the stuff you start with is more basic stuff, and the stuff yeah. you get later is is more complex. Even a more reason a to weigh it more heavily because it shows a complex understanding. Yeah. Well, however you you weigh it, um, the direction of change matters to me. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. All right. Shall we do headlines? Sure. Or is there more to say there? No. No. MC. No, All right. No. Headline. Uh, and I'll read through the headlines and then, like usual, just, you know, pick one. Uh, headline, Oregon law punishes people for calling the police if a court finds they had a bad motive. <laughs> headline, this this could be a long one, so that we may not do this one, uh, even if you want to. Uh, headline, how the state destroys families. Uh, headline, threat to the community. Detroit students sent to detention center during pandemic for... Not doing her homework. Uh, had... <laughs> Go ahead. Well, actually, the the first two are, are really striking. The first one that you mentioned makes me want to know. Well, what was was it they considered bad behavior that they called the police about? Okay. And the second one, um, what was that? It, it was how um... the state destroys families. Oh yeah, that's a that's a huge wide open. Uh, issue that we could go on but at length but it's we... also a fairly long article so i'll tell you what if yeah. you want to do that one um i will set it aside remind me to lead with that one next week and then maybe we'll just spend as much of the hour as we can on that one uh, yeah, but i had sure. it prepped for today um but I'll, we'll move along and then if you really like that first one we'll, we'll circle back to that one and start there and then see where we get uh, headline cop arrested after manhunt launched for an attack he faked on himself uh, headline Canada's first mask murder Ontario police kill 73 year old man after he refused to comply with local mandate okay so forget getting arrested for not wearing a mask it went from two weeks quarantine to flatten the curve to killed on site uh, headline <laughs> to save his life <laughs> uh, apparently to, or to save the lives of the general community around him uh, headline tyranny without a tyrant that's also a fairly long one, so remind me to circle back if you want to. Uh, this will be an interesting one. Headline, who owns leftover and abandoned bar food? And fine. <laughs> it it, the, uh, the answer is depends on where you live. Uh, headline, good Samaritan finds wallet full of money, turns it into police who steal it. <laughs> All right. Any of those? Any of those last ones that I read jump out more so than the Oregon law punishes people for calling the police? They'll circle back to that one. We'll start with that. Well, I'm curious about the bar food. Okay, know. more yeah. so than the Oregon one. You want to start with the bar food? Oh, they're all good. I mean, you've you've come across a whole slew of great ones. That's that's what I do all week, Ken. Mm -hmm. All right. So we'll, we'll do the bar food first, then, because I think that this one could be quick. Maybe we'll see. Uh, who owns leftover and abandoned bar food? And like I said, uh, we'll read the article, but it, the, the, the short answer is depends on where you live. From the sun-drenched tables outside the small town bakery, I look between the quaint houses toward the frigid sea. The expanse of bay, crisp blue against the backdrop of snow-covered mountains, is the perfect scenery for making my thoughts wander, making connections I am blissfully unaware of. This fine Friday afternoon, I'm reminded of a conversation I had with Jeffrey Tucker two years ago. He brought up the concept of ambiguous property rights, something I had never heard of or even considered. Something is either owned or unowned, I objected, with little space in between. Sure, 
Ownership can be contested, and we can fight over whom a plot of land or item belongs to, or should belong to, but once legally settled, there's rarely anything ambiguous about who owns what. Consider trash, he said, the kind left behind at a restaurant or bar. Who owns that? Hesitating for a moment, I answered, the people who left it. I then corrected myself as real-world scenarios popped into my head. Actually, the restaurant owner as the employees of the restaurant clear the trash once the customer leaves. At some point, the customer's food becomes the restaurant's trash. There's a transfer. So, Tucker added, with a characteristic grin of a wise old master who had had this conversation many times before, (laughs) who gets to use the trash after the customer has left, but before the restaurant staff cleans the table? Nobody? Anybody? For some time, most definitely the customer, in case they come back, is it unowned? Can any passerby grab the leftover food? Uh, I don't remember ever solving the riddle, and the topic quickly disappeared from my mind until this sunny afternoon before this splendid mountain view. Uh, The couple at the table next to ours leaves their half-eaten sandwich behind, and I stare at the scraps of paper, bread and cheese. The odd question comes back to me. When my traveling companion returns to the restroom, I pose the question to him. Always curious about ideas and willing to engage, even the oddest of queries, he ponders it for a moment before he says that ownership probably reverts to the restaurant. You'd have to ask permission from the restaurant before eating it, which implies that the leftover food belongs to them, he tells me, that this is what he and his high school friends used to do at a place they often frequented. In addition to whatever they were consuming, they would get the leftovers from neighboring tables, but only after having previously arranged that with the owner. Just taking it would probably be frowned upon, and possibly illegal. A few hours later, we sit at a similar table, admiring almost the same view. Now lavished in the early evening sunlight. Uh, Dinner's finished, we're still a bit hungry, but not enough to order more. The family sitting next to us on one of those long wooden picnic tables often found in outdoor seating is eating a pizza large enough to cover their half of the table. Suddenly, in what seems like midway through their meal, they ask for the bill and make their way towards the parking lot. I look at the pizza, four or five plate-sized <laughs> slices of perfectly fine and uneaten crispy pizza covered with ham and cheese, waving invitingly to me. I look at my friend who had already noticed the same thing, and we both burst out (laughs) laughing. This is ambiguous property rights, he claims, while gasping for air in between laughters. What do we do now? The waitress sees us laughing hysterically, so we point out to the pizza and ask if we can have it. She shrugs her shoulders and says, sure, what do I care? Go ahead. (laughs) After another few bursts of uncontrollable laughter, we gradually down most of the free pizza, satisfied that our hobby philosophizing for once materially paid off. Another waitress, unaware of the previous owner of this delicious pizza and the exchange we'd had with her colleagues, sees our munching and asks how we like the pizza. Naturally, we lose it, laughing our guts out that the puzzled look of this poor waitress. Who owns trash? We've all been in situations like these, seeing others leave perfectly edible food or drinks at the table. Had it been cash, we probably wouldn't hesitate in either taking it for ourselves or chasing the stranger down the street to give it back to them. Being non-durable food that's destined for the bin, the story gets trickier. Standard theory of property rights argue that the unowned property can be acquired by anyone. John Locke, the 17th century English philosopher and Enlightenment scholar, famously stated that property was established by mixing one's labor with unowned land, 
thereby appropriating unknown resources, finders, keepers. While most countries' legal systems aren't exactly Lockean, in some specific areas like cash, most countries do not let finders take over ownership of unowned items. Since cash is pretty much untraceable and ownership almost impossible to prove in hindsight, it is considered to belong to whoever holds it. If I find a $20 note on the street, lucky me. Beautifully shaped rock on a public beach usually don't belong to anyone else and I can safely acquire them for myself. Depending on the legal jurisdiction we're in, archaeological remains or oil or mineral deposits may belong to me, but more often revert to the state or whoever bought exploration rights in my area. The American treatment of trash is another such interesting gray area story. After a Supreme Court decision in the 1980s, discarded material is in the public domain. Unowned property. Up for grabs to whoever wants it. But as dumpster divers have found out the hard way, local regulations can often outlaw taking trash from stores. Many jurisdictions like California don't outlaw the taking of trash, but occasionally arrest people for trespassing or littering. In Germany, dumpster diving is illegal, and all trash considered the property of those who are discarding it. Other rules and norms probably guide the taking of perishable foods like the tepid pizza me and my friend munched on. In a few hours, it will spoil anyway, and the attentive waitress will probably throw it out, throw it away long before then. Quite a few people have seemed to experience with this, including uh, Ruby Lot Lavinia, uh, writer at Vice, going out of her way to snatch up leftover food at the diner she had targeted. She was first reprimanded by a fellow customer who hadn't actually finished his food and then told off by staff when asked what would happen if anyone hypothetically would do that. Please leave the restaurant, came the answer. Uh, she writes, quote, the social rules of dining out are that you definitely do not touch people's leftover food, possibly for health reasons, but also because of a stigma around eating leftovers as an act associated with those who are homeless or having little money, unquote. A number of people in this core post tell similar experiences or even suggesting that Starbucks has a policy against it. Another Starbucks employee allegedly lost his job for eating leftover food that had been marked past its expiry date. The coffeehouse chain cited stealing from the company as reason for termination, meaning that the company had asserted its ownership over the trash. If the strict line for ambiguous property rights gets goes at durability, the waste aspect of it, then beer or smokes or furniture or other kinds of belonging left in the open shouldn't be up for grabs. Nobody would consider an iPhone left at a restaurant table to be up for grabs, and it could hardly revert to the restaurant as it was never theirs in the first place. Maybe that's because the restaurant isn't producing iPhones, but a phone forgotten in an Apple store would hardly shift ownership either. And whoever comes back for it later could reasonably expect the phone to be in the same condition and still be their property. Maybe the market value of items better. Items of high value could be exempted, uh, as are items of sentimental value, as no one would consider a forgotten family heirloom to now pass into the hands of a restaurant or its co other customers. An interesting qualification, it points to a more pragmatic solution to who owns leftover trash not yet in containers. Ownership doesn't really transfer to anyone. The food still belongs to the previous customer, but a few dollars worth of beer or half-eaten meal isn't worth bickering about. Besides, the restaurant needs to clear the table for the new customer, in which case its staff repossesses the food and throws it away even if it isn't strictly theirs. Phones or t-shirts or heirlooms found in waste containers, however, have clearly been discarded by the previous owner and should, in the U.S., be treated as unowned property. 
It would depend on the norms of the community, says my friend thoughtfully, when we once again ponder the limits of taking other people's food at restaurants. That's probably true, but makes the answer to this strange conundrum boring pragmatic one. Figuring out the exact property rights isn't worth the hassle. It's too little and too rare to care about enforcing whatever legal right might be applicable in various jurisdictions. In practice, the ownership of leftover food is up to the social norms in the country you're in. Even the attitude of the staff in the particular establishment you're visiting. An informal institution guided by vague and constantly negotiated social interactions. Push comes to shove. The food isn't yours. It's not up for grabs until it's been discarded. Uh, On the table, it's either the restaurants or the other customers. But since it has very little value to the restaurant, ask nicely and they might give it to you. Uh, End of the article. Any experience with this leftover food or abandoned trash phenomenon? Two things come to mind. One, uh, what if the customer had um, uh, paid and went to the toilet expecting to come back and box up the pizza and take it with them? And they came back and they said, what? You've eaten my pizza. Um, They would have a claim. You would have to buy them another pizza. I'm sure if, you know, push came to shove, the restaurant would just comp them uh, another pizza to make good for not being attentive to the situation. And there have been also a lot of circumstances where news reporters have uh, gone into the trash of, let's say, Henry Kissinger in the years back or or Princess Diana or whatever like that, um, gone into the trash to delve into the private lives of, of um, celebrities and uh, I think the courts have sided with them that once it's put in the trash and put out, that it's uh, unowned anymore. But I don't know if uh, if that's maybe that's different in different locations. Well, where do you fall in your opinion? Like if you were if you were the judge in the matter, how would you adjudicate? In the case of the pizza, if they, it, it, I think you're right that a custom uh, a customer who wants the other person's pizza should politely ask, do the, does the establishment mind if they uh, finish it? Sure. And if they say, uh, go ahead, then fine. And if somebody comes back in and wants to claim it, then they say, well, I have permission from the establishment. Then that's a, uh, but I, I think they had a right to do so if if given permission by the establishment. If not, oh, well, it's not only rude, but I imagine it, people do rude things. And, and uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, that's a tough one. Uh, and the other one, I think, uh, I think people are expecting a certain degree of privacy, even in the trash, um, until it is when they put it out at the curbside, and the contractor, whether private or or government, is expected to come and pick it up and dispose of it in a uh, in a landfill. I suppose somebody could still go through the stuff at the landfill. Uh, but it, at the curbside, I think uh, there's still a reasonable expectation of privacy that it's it's yours until it's actually picked up by your contractor. Interesting. MC, thoughts? Yeah, I think it's yeah totally reasonable to uh, you know, have your trash be owned uh, by yourself until the contractor comes pick picks it up, uh, takes it to the dump. Um, I don't know if the contractor also allow other people in their in their dump and to you know search through their their dump for whatever they want (laughs) or if that's part of the contract that they don't i don't know do you think it it would be do you think knowing the circumstance it would behoove the individual to take necessary precautions 
if they feel like they're disposing of important documents, right? Like, is it a reasonable expectation that, yes, you put it out on the curb, someone may go through it, and if there's important things in there, you may want to take extra steps to prevent that? Well, if if someone was to go through my trash that I know I have sensitive stuff in, uh, is it okay for me to shoot them? Uh, it would depend on the ownership, right? Like, What's and, in, the, and in the trash. The contractor hasn't picked it up yet, so the trash is mine. Yeah, so if you're claiming ownership... If you're claiming ownership, then I would say that that would fall more into a, uh, what is it, the the use of force spectrum uh, on how much force is... is well, it's it's very, very sensitive stuff in my trash, so... Understood, you know, might, but can you reacquire... Could, yeah, I'm, yeah, if you if you think so. If you, if you can reacquire it without, you know, firing off a shot, uh, maybe that's, maybe that's, you know, maybe that's a better use of defensive force to reacquire property than jumping straight to shoot them. Well, yeah, I, I, I think so, but, um, yeah, but <laughs> can you brandish like, it first? Like, get out of my trash. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a bit. I'm, what I'm saying is, ultimately, though, if the person doesn't get out of the trash, then you can still, you know, shoot them if you think it's worth uh, that. But you know, going back even further than that, you're also right that. If it's sensitive stuff, then maybe you should shred it before you put it in the trash can. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, there's lots of logical things people can do to prevent the need for use of violence. But uh, the the other one too is like, don't go through other people's trash. Could be true. Now, what happens if you call nine one one because somebody's going through your trash? Do you get arrested for a bad motive? I don't know. Are you trying to segue into that? Because we, I have I have a couple of stories, and then we can segue into that. Unless you want to just jump right in, because I've I've been on both sides of this uh, trash debate, sort of. Uh, when I was a kid, uh, we were on our way to a soccer game that I had to play in, uh, and we drove by Blockbuster Video, and lo and behold, as we drove by Blockbuster Video, what do we see? Uh, we see one of the employees just dumping box after box after box of VHS tapes into the dumpster. And we then, well, that's, wow, that's, that's a tempting. gold mine. <laughs> Not only was it tempting, after the soccer game, we made our way back to that dumpster. Uh, and me and my cousin jumped into the dumpster and took out all the VHS tapes that we could. Uh, and, you know, some of them just had like a small crack on the plastic, some of them were missing some other things. You know, some of them were worn and on certain parts of the VHS. Uh, but we had quite an extensive collection of blockbuster movies all of a sudden uh, because they didn't want it. Right? It was in the trash. It, they were clearly absolving themselves of you know any ownership in my mind at that time. Right? If it's in the trash, you don't want it. Uh, at the same time, uh, I don't throw out sensitive material. Um, now that I'm here and it's less convenient, I, I take it to work and I shred it. Um, but when I was in Hawaii, I would wait until like new year's day. Uh, and then when we, you know, or new year's Eve and we would, we would set the Christmas tree on fire in the middle of the street and I would burn all my sensitive mail that I didn't want and sensitive trash that I didn't want, uh, going out into the, you know, into the dumpsters. Um, because, Hey. I, I was, I was protecting myself by disposing of it that way. 
you know. But couldn't you have gotten arrested or charged with a fine with for for burning? I mean, in, was it Hawaii? Yeah, probably. I think an open burning would have gotten you in more trouble. Maybe, but also why I waited till New Year's when there's a lot of fireworks and fire going off anyway. It was like, you know, <laughs> yeah. under the cover of everything else going on, I didn't, you know, I didn't set a blaze in the middle of the day, you know, out in the open. I waited until, you know, most of the streets were closed or, un, you know, unoccupied for the most part because everyone was out partying. Um, fireworks were going off, you know, aerial, aerials, the beautiful aerials that Hawaii does during New Year's. So I, I took I the when, necessary precautions. When people want to dispose of a drawer or a bed or a TV or something like that, and they wait for bulk item pickup day, and they put it out. Of course, the bulk item pickup doesn't come by for a couple days till later. So it's sitting out there on the on the curbside. I'm yeah. delighted when somebody else wants wants it and just takes it, you know, because they they can make use of it. Yeah. But I don't, I don't suppose, uh, I suppose somebody could challenge it, but I, I don't think that anyone ever does because it's a routine thing. So another thing that happened, uh, you know, I was working at the cleaning and moving company in Hawaii and we were contracted. It was a quick job. It was, uh, me and my other strong buddy, uh, had to go out to, to, to town and remove, uh, like a, a piano not like an upright piano not the whole baby grand or grand piano just the, the regular upright you know upright wall piano whatever you want to call it. i don't know the specific specific name of it just take it out and put it on the curb for what you just said ken bulky pickup and we get there and you know it's an it's an older couple and we're talking to them and they in no uncertain terms give us a wink and a nudge and go like those are real ivory keys oh so, <laughs> really well that's interesting <laughs> So I, I look over my buddy. I'm like, uh, that's a lot of money sitting on the curb, man, you know, potentially. Right. And so I, you know, but none of us are the underground types at the time. Right. So it's like, well, what are we going to do with it? The answer was nothing. So I said, you know, I was like, well, I'm going to go home and ask around because I have shady uncles. Right. I don't know. I don't know how many shady friends he had, uh, but I'm going to go ask around and just give it a little look-see and see if we can find anyone to come and pick this up, you know, get beat bulky pickup to it. Uh, because having been contracted to put it out on the curb, right. The, in my mind, they're like, we don't want it. It's abandoned property finders, keepers. Um, and then if it's got, you know, valuable, uh, ivory in there that someone shady might know how to get rid of or make some money on, uh, then, then why let that go to the landfill? You know, put that to better use. So I've always sure. been of them. I don't, I've, I, don't, I don't think you even need to label them shady dealers. It's just um, that's what the whole junk market is all about. Uh, it's people who are uh, finding value in what other people don't find value in. And that's great. You know, Well, the, the shady dealers a, would because it's ivory. does value it. Yeah. The, the, the shady but, dealers is uh, ivory and the illegalness ivory, of the ivory trade. Uh, but that's in new ivory trade. I think that uh, okay. grandfathered in is everything that's old ivory. Okay. Well, then I, I don't know what the rule is then uh, because I did, I had a customer here because uh, we do, I do uh, auction sales and uh, storage auctions, I mean. Um, and he, you know, he was telling me a story about how he found some ivory uh, in, a, in another auction that he had won. 
And I, I believe he said he had it appraised and it was valued at like a quarter million dollars of ivory. Um, grandfathered in maybe, but he, uh, you know, doing the right thing in his mind, um, contacted the, the local department of whoever handles that sort of thing, the department of labor and natural resources or whatever. And in following up with the story to me indicated that he was told he was not allowed to sell it, but that he could trade it. Oh, <laughs> really? Traded for what? Dollars? <laughs> Traded <laughs> for money. <laughs> right. right. <laughs> I was like, I don't, I, I don't know what that even means at this point, man. But I, I hope <laughs> you, you get the. It, you can't put it in a storefront, I guess. Like, I don't know. I don't know. But that's the thing. It's it's so sketchy. So, but you know, it's not. It wasn't new ivory. It was old ivory from a storage unit. So I don't know. Maybe that ivory thing is is localized as well. I don't know what the rule on that is either. Uh, but just interesting. My opinion has always been like. Once, once you put it on the curb, once you throw it in the garbage, right? To me, I've always considered that abandoned property. You have, you have already made the indication that I do not want this. Uh, this is going to the trash, right? And to me, that's always been up for grabs. Now, in your case, MC, if you're saying, well, there, there's valuable things in there, uh, due diligence, man. Like, don't, don't put, don't abandon valuables, right? They, they have companies like you know ShredX or whatever that will come and destroy the valuables for you, uh, in front of you even, right? They do it right on the truck if, you know, if you want them to. Uh, so yeah, if, if you want your value, if you, if you don't want to abandon valuable items and you want it destroyed, uh, then you should destroy it yourself and then discard the ashes or the, the shredded, you know, the, the, the shreds, however you want. Uh, but I've always, I've always seen, uh, trash as abandoned property. Like that's, that's, that's back to the earth. You, you were given it back and then it can be taken by whomever wishes to come and take it. Years ago, I used to work for the JC Penney company and in the section where they had, uh, uh, paperback books for sale and they needed turnover and books that weren't popular or, or of interest to people didn't turn over. They said, well, we have an arrangement with the paperback uh, company. Uh, don't spend the money to send the whole book back, but rip off the front cover, send only the front cover back and then throw away the book. And then that frees up space for them to ship out a whole new list of paperback books and you could post those in there. Sure. So I thought this was great. I got a collection of books that, uh, that the company was getting rid of. They didn't care. And the, and the company that was uh, selling them, they didn't care either. Um, I mean, I guess the arrangement was when you dispose of it, but disposing of it into my personal library was uh, as good as putting in the trash. And so nobody, nobody paid any uh, diff- uh, attention to it. Did you acquire but, permission uh, to do this in advance or did it? Yeah. Just yeah. Like, from okay. the, yeah. Well, I mean, I talked with uh, my boss at the, at the story. I say, does anyone mind if I take this? No, no, go ahead. But I don't know if that's official permission. He just didn't care. Well, that that calls into question. That's the whole point of the article, right? Who owns mm-hmm. it? Someone, someone has to. If you got permission from the owner to take it, presumably, right? De facto, the owner of the store was the owner of the book because he was the one able to grant you the permission to take it, right? Otherwise, you would have to have asked the publisher, "Hey, after I rip this cover off, since this is your book, right? Do you mind if I then take it home?" Like if it was the publisher's book. Again, it's, you know, ambiguous. Uh, then the owner, even asking the owner, he doesn't have the the, the right Actually, to, to answer. 
I, yeah, I don't know who actually owned it. My guess is that it was still the property of the uh, the distributor, yeah, not of the store. Uh, so, that's so you got permission they, from the uh, wrong guy. It's just the, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> but I have, it was such a petty thing that nobody was going to make a deal of it. But if you did make an issue of it, I suppose the the tradeback publisher would have said, uh, "No, we we want those actually destroyed." But you know. Um, yeah, but these these are things to dispute now, but at the time it seemed pretty insignificant. Yeah. I mean, it, it's disputed on a theoretical level, right? Like, no one really cares. Right. Uh, right. When I was working at the Japanese restaurant uh, back in Hawaii, uh, you know, occasionally the sushi would go out with some shrimp heads, some raw shrimp heads. And those are delicious when you deep fry them. Uh, and occasionally they would return uneaten. Uh, and we, you know, there were certain servers that would kind enough to like return those to the kitchen uneaten. Cause then we would fucking fry them and feast. Uh, but some of them were like, no, you can't, you can't eat that. It's got to go in the trash. It just came off the table. You don't know who's touched and blah, blah. I'm like, we're about to drop it in like 350 degree oil, man. Like whatever germs is there <laughs> going to be gone in a few minutes. Just bring us the goddamn shrimp heads. Cause they're delicious. Um, but whose was it? You know, the the customer paid, the customer left, okay. is about to go into the trash. Would uh, we get in trouble for stealing from the restaurant? Here's another issue uh, um, that opens up a whole other can of worms on this concept here. Um, a, a friend of yours has uh, downloaded some music and uh, wants to uh, uh, send you a copy. Is that his to, to send to you? I mean, is it yours? Then if you... Got it. Or is the originator of the music? Of course, this gets into a whole other area of <coughs> what's called intellectual property rights. And right, that's a whole other topic for for another day. I think uh, I'll answer your question though, because I'm a pirater of just about every sort of media you can think of. Yeah. Um, so no, it's mine uh, because copies aren't theft, right? They're copies. the The original is still intact. Uh, and because it's, you know, because intellectual property is a state construct uh, based on scarcity that based on a false scarcity that doesn't exist. Right. Artificial scarcity. Um, no, uh, you, you can make as many digital copies of whatever you want. And, you know, even if it wasn't a digital copy, uh, if it was like a physical copy, um, if I if I print the book on my paper, it's my book. If I put the the, the digital information on my hard drive. It's my information. Yeah, I concur. So no big issue there. But it, it's an interesting one to talk about. And I think that... Only because of the to... state paradigm of intellectual property. Yeah, yeah. This whole concept of letter patent used to be letters from the king giving a, a royal charter to somebody for exclusive use of some idea or public... I mean, all kinds of things. They gave letters patent for everything. And those just have carried over into this uh, notion too, but yeah, that's okay. Uh, I'm I'm sorry to say that's an issue I'll have to deal with another time. I I have to. Yeah, that's fine. Um, We're at the end of the show, but well. you asked and I answered. Yeah, I'm glad you did because that's yeah. a very exciting topic. But bring it up next week, and we can flush it out even further. Uh, final Good. thoughts. Good. Anybody? 
MC? Nope. All right. That'll do it for us then. Thank you very much for listening. You all know where to find us. Anarchistexperience.com. Telegram, t.me slash anarchistexperience or t.me slash theanarchistexperience. And if you'd like to contribute to the show financially, uh, you may do so through Patreon, patreon.com slash theanarchistexperience. Thank you very much for listening. And we'll talk to you all next week. Peace. Hey, great, Rich. This is uh, a lot of fun.